0: though it is possible that this day may be a figment of my imagination this is also the final day of january a month i feel i only just got to know at the end of midnight 2023 will have passed the 8.5 percent mark there's There's so so much to keep track of both imaginary imaginary and real. real and both my fictional and non-fictional selves occasionally occasionally team team up up for for a little something we we both call Charlottesville Charlottesville Community Engagement. engagement. I'm Sean Tubbs, or at at least one of me is. is. On today's program, a dozen more people have filed to be considered as a replacement city councilor, bringing the total to 20. All localities in the Thomas Jefferson Planning District experienced population growth since the U.S. 2020 census, with Louisa County growing the most, and the Central Virginia Regional Housing Partnership takes its roadshow to the Charlottesville City Council. (music) In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, crisp air, hot cocoa, the possibility of snow days, There are plenty of reasons to be excited about winter, but the return of high heating bills is not one of them. Your local energy nonprofit, LEAP, has been empowering Virginians with energy efficiency and solar solutions since 2010. With programs for all income levels, residents can access upgrades like insulation, LED bulbs, low-flow fixtures, and affordable rooftop solar systems. Visit www.leap-va.org to learn more and fill out the LEAP Services Inquiry Form to lower high heating bills and stay cozy this winter. The four remaining members of Charlottesville City Council now have 20 choices before them, for a person to be appointed as the fifth member. These include a sitting planning commissioner, a sitting school board member, two former city councillors, two former school board members, and a variety of others who want to join council as it considers the next city budget and the next set of rules for how new structures can be built. Here's a little about each of the 12 candidates who have filed since January 24th, do read the full applications for details there's a link to a list of the other eight in the newsletter kate bennis has lived in charlottesville for 16 years and identifies herself as a clinical social worker a communication coach and trainer and an active civic participant she served as the president of the little high neighborhood association from 2017 to 2019 michael Cusano has lived in charlottesville for three years and three months He is the president of the Johnson Village Neighborhood Association and has served on the Housing Advisory Committee. Cusano is a reconstruction project manager who has served over 10 years in emergency medical services. Philip Duranzio has lived in Charlottesville for over 20 years. He is the CEO of Pilot Mortgage and was appointed to the Planning Commission this past September after having served on the Housing Advisory Committee from 2014 to its reconstitution earlier this year. That includes five years as its chair. Kathy Galvin has lived in Charlottesville for 40 years and spent eight of them on city council and another four on the school board. She is an architect who currently works for the Renaissance Planning Group. Like fellow former city councillor Kristen Zakos, Galvin has indicated she will not seek re-election to a full third term. Margaret Gardner has lived in Charlottesville for 28 years and is a resident of the Frye Spring neighborhood. She has worked in higher education for 27 years. Sam Gulland has worked in Charlottesville for three years. He has served as an infantry officer in the U.S. Army for six years and has spent the last seven years developing utility-scale solar facilities. Gulland has indicated he will not seek election in the fall. Carla Mano has lived in Charlottesville for 30 years and was vice president of the Fifeville Neighborhood Association when she was 22. She has worked as a teacher and included a letter she wrote to Seville Weekly in 1994 as part of her application. Sarah Moniz has lived in Charlottesville for a year and a half and is currently the human resources manager for The Haven. She's also worked on the Blue Ridge Area Coalition for the Homeless as an administrative coordinator. Natalie Oshrin has lived in Charlottesville for 28 years and said experience living here is a valuable resource. She is a graduate of the University of Virginia and has a master's degree in hospitality and tourism management from the University of South Carolina. Rosia Parker has lived in Charlottesville for 28 years and has served on both the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority's Board of Commissioners as well as the Police Civilian Review Board. In her application, Parker said she does not have the financial resources to run for council, and this is her only way to be in that position. Maynard Sype has lived in Charlottesville for over 40 years. He's a land use attorney who has lived in the Fifeville neighborhood for 23 years. Seip said his experience in municipal law would help the city with the zoning rewrite. He indicated he would not seek a full term. And finally, Lisa Torres has lived in Charlottesville for 23 years and is in her second term on the school board. She works as a physical home therapist. Torres said her experience as an elected official would be valuable to the city at this time. What happens next? City Council Clerk Keena Thomas has sent this information to each of the candidates. A public hearing will be conducted at the February 6th City Council meeting. Council will give candidates three to five minutes to be determined to speak first before opening the floor to others. If you have not registered for the meeting already, you will need to register for a seat in Council Chamber or for the Zoom link in order to participate. Councilors will likely discuss applicants during closed sessions on February February 6th and 21st and make a decision on February 21st to be within the 45-day deadline before a judge would appoint someone. Consideration is also being given to interviewing select candidates separately will communicate as more information is known. More information will of course be made known thanks to Charlottesville Community Engagement. Stay tuned. The population of the six localities that make up the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission grew by 2.5% between the 2020 U.S. Census and the beginning of the fiscal year. That's according to the latest population estimates from the Weldon Cooper Center at the University of Virginia. These are used by the Commonwealth of Virginia for all manner of planning purposes. Here's a section from the website for the data that was made available yesterday. Population estimates are an important tool used by a variety of state agencies in their planning processes, from developing budgets to determining salaries for public officials. The entire TJPDC region is estimated to have a population of 270,139, up from 263,617 in the U.S. 2020 census. Albemarle County is estimated to have added 3,100 people in two years and three months for a total of 115,495 people. That's an increase of 2.8% since the 2020 census. Louisa County had a 5.7% increase for a total of 39,725 people on July 1, 2022. The 2020 census counted 37,596 people. Green County's estimate is 21,165, an increase of 613 people. That's a 3% increase. Fluvanna County added 594 people over the period for an estimated population of 27,843, a 2.2% increase. Charlottesville has the second-smallest increase of the six localities with 0.4%, with a 2022 estimate of 51,278. That is 228 more people. The numbers for Charlottesville deserve a little more explanation. Here's a section from that website. Across the country, localities with relatively large college populations, including some Virginia localities, were often undercounted in the April 1, 2020 census count the U.S. Census counted 46,553 people in Charlottesville on April 1st, 2020. That was after the University of Virginia canceled in-person classes for the rest of the spring semester due to the COVID pandemic. Weldon Cooper instead is using their own 2020 population estimates as a benchmark for Charlottesville, as well as Harrisonburg, Lexington, Lynchburg, Montgomery County, Prince Edward County, Radford, and Williamsburg. Once the remainder of the 2020 census data is released later this year, we will further examine the discrepancies in college town populations and make additional adjustments if needed. Nelson County rounds out the TJPDC region with a 38-person increase over two years with a population of 14,813. That's a 0.3% increase, the lowest in the region. Regional conversations about population should also take Buckingham County into consideration, given its proximity to Scottsville, as well as its inclusion in the federally defined metropolitan statistical area. Buckingham takes Louisa's place for these purposes. Buckingham County has an estimated population with 14 fewer people than on April 1st, 2020. The total estimate is 16,810. The Charlottesville MSA increased by 2% to a total population of 230,594. That makes it the sixth largest metro area in Virginia, in between Lynchburg at 5th and Blacksburg at 7th. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Bikes wants you to join them for their annual Valentine's Day fundraiser, Bake and Bike. On Tuesday, February 14th, costumed bike couriers will deliver pre-ordered bags of scones all around Charlottesville. Bags will include six scones, chocolate chip and cranberry, baked and packaged by Sweet Holly's Desserts, and you can add a personalized note for your recipient. Deliveries will be made between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m., If you live outside the delivery area, you can also pre-order scones and pick them up at Community Bikes on Tuesday, February 14th. They are limited to 160 bags of scones, so order as soon as you can. You can visit charlottesvillecommunitybikes.org to learn more about bake and bike. It has been a year and a half now since the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission adopted a document called Planning for Affordability that sought to help all six localities in the community update the housing chapters of their respective comprehensive plans. The work is part of something called the Central Virginia Regional Housing Partnership, a subset of the TJPDC. This month, members of the partnership have been appearing before different elected bodies to share what the group does. Albemarle County's turn is this Wednesday, but Charlottesville City Council had the opportunity to hear a little bit of the roadshow at their meeting on Tuesday, January 17th. Here is Ned Galloway, the Rio District Representative on the Albemarle Board of Supervisors and the chair of the Regional Housing Partnership. The why behind the partnership was created was we all know that we have housing affordability issues, and it's not just specific to any one jurisdiction that's in the commission or the TJPDC uh, represented bodies. It is a regional issue, and while regional solutions may vary depending on if you're rural or urban, perhaps our solutions within our boundaries might vary, but the information sharing, the data collection, and the effort should be shared to help us all solve the problem. Partnership meetings are intended to be places to discuss issues, such as the length of time it takes to get a building permit. That came up at the meeting in December, for instance. Galloway said that each locality still controls its own policies, but the partnership serves as a way for staff in each to be able to get resources. So you think of the regional housing partnership as a living toolbox, if you will. Um, If you need a place to bounce ideas off or to discuss or to pull data from, that's what you would come to the partnership for. A major force behind the creation of the partnership is Keith Smith, a realtor and Fluvanna County
1: representative on the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. I'm a private sector person, right? Um, and it was part of the brainchild or part of the thought process in helping put this together. I was finding that the public sector, the nonprofit sector, and 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 the private sector, at some, they just really weren't communicating well. They were speaking the same thing, but in different languages.
0: Smith shared recent housing data that indicates that the number of units available for sale is beginning to go up, but the price of each is also
1: going up. The units are kind of all over the map a little bit, but the prices are climbing, climbing up.
0: In Charlottesville, the median sales price for existing single-family detached homes increased from 349000 in 2018 to 475000 in 2022. Existing townhomes, duplexes, and other single-family attached homes increased from $250,000 in median sales prices in 2018 to $328,000 in 2022.
1: Most know that I also chair the Land Trust. And I know a little bit about what the sales price needs to be to hit the 80, 60 to 80% AMI. And the sales price to do that needs to be at that, at, at preferably below 200, but you can probably squeak it up in today's uh, interest rates to about 215. Once you start going over that, you can't fit within that 60 to 80% uh, AMI.
0: Smith said the partnership also has a data committee that seeks to help get more information out to community members. Another idea for the partnership is to create a regional land bank for affordable housing projects. The partnership is pursuing a grant for a feasibility study for that at this time. City Councilor Brian Pinkston wanted to know if the partnership has access to the skills of an economist to model scenarios. What would it look like to have
1: adequate supply. Theoretically, I guess, as, as supply goes up, the costs go down. Um, but in Charlottesville, it feels like no matter what you do, we're going to, because of the draw of the university and because of the fact that it's such a great place to live, it's, um, I guess the word
0: I'm looking for here, it's not fungible. In other words, a 10% increase in supply would not necessarily increase in a corresponding decrease in price. Galloway said the partnership still has limited funds and currently could not afford to hire an economist but could apply for grants to do so. Smith said the data committee would look into the idea as well. Counselor Michael Payne said continued subsidies are the only solution for the many people in Charlottesville who are below 60% of AMI. At this point, we're almost kidding ourselves if we think the supply-side solutions are going to be enough to ever address the biggest need in our community. And we have to invest in subsidy and community land trust, um, land bank, because it's just not going to be enough otherwise. The Affordable Housing Plan, adopted in March of 2021, morally commits council to spending at least $10 million a year on housing. For more details on that and how it's being implemented, visit Information Charlottesville for a collection of previous segments here from Charlottesville Community Engagement, and stay subscribed, because you're going to hear more. What do you want to know about the market? As you may know, I now write a weekly column for Seville Weekly about this topic, and I'm looking for ideas and questions to track down in the 600 words I get. It's one area that so many don't understand, and perhaps together we can figure more of it out. It's droll. That's kind of the point of Town Crier Productions and Charlottesville community engagement. But that is the end of this episode, number 491, if you are counting. I write a lot, and every now and then I print something that is incorrect. And now I have many different places where I am posting material. And the standard policy is roughly the same, I make a correction or clarification in the text, mark that an error has occurred, and then leave a comment saying what I did. One of the original reasons for this end section of the newsletter was to also make note of the errors, but as a one-person operation I often neglect to write out these mistakes. This is mostly a factor of wanting every day to get to the next set of stories, but for now let me say a few things. Yesterday, I posted an incorrect age for someone shot by gunfire. On April twenty-second, 2022, I put the wrong date for the foundation of the Crossroads Tavern in North Garden. The crime data table that I reported had not been updated since November of 22 has been updated now, and the crime map is live once more. The eviction diversion program mentioned in yesterday's program has helped over 116 households last year with resources. That's not necessarily an error, but it's a tidbit I did not get into yesterday's meeting, so here it is today. That's not necessarily an error, but it is a tidbit from yesterday's show that didn't get in, and now here it is. All of this work is in flux as the lives we are all living continue to ebb and flow. I am not perfect, but I have aspirations for accuracy. Thank you to everyone who is helping support me as I try to track as much of the tide as possible. Now, a haiku. Substack payments rock. They do keep me in business. Ting matches. First, payment. I would try an iambic pentameter to explain the benefits you would get from signing up with Ting. You can just read what that says in the newsletter. I am Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. I will be back tomorrow with another installment. Or maybe it's Thursday. Maybe it's Friday. But, you know, any day I don't do one of these is a day I feel like I've lived a lot less. This work is important to me. I hope it's important to you, and I hope you're subscribing. If not, that's okay too. Goodbye and farewell. <laughs> Carrie, who's in this? Yeah, we've been up your ox, we're it's neck on a ship's the